Very thankful for this precious opportunity that God's given us to meet together here in his house. It's good to see each one of you. We very much appreciate the, the prayer that's been uh, offered by our brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd ask that each one of you would pray for us as we stand before you. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I, I trust that you do. Uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. We'll begin this morning by reading the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And there's a phrase that's found here in verse 28 that I'd like for us to concentrate on this morning. The phrase is, Come unto me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus here speaking, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me. Those are welcoming words. Words that would just give you comfort. If you ever visited someone's house and they would open the door and just say, come on in. Make yourself at home. The Lord here says, come unto me. Make yourself at home and spend time with me. Here in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, we find the Lord speaking, saying, Come unto me. But it's not the only place in the Gospels we find him saying these words. If God would be our helper this morning, I'd like for us to consider the times that Jesus would say, Come unto me. And I would like to convince you that each time he speaks those words, it's directed to God's born-again children. In understanding that every time he says this, it's directed to God's born-again children. It will help us understand what he's saying to us as his children. And what we can experience as his children by just drawing near unto God. You know, James encouraged the members, the disciples, that he would pastor to draw nigh unto God, get close to him. Jesus says, come unto me. I know you must be thinking, well, why do you believe, Brother Ronnie? Why are you convinced each time the Lord says that he's speaking to God's God's children? We're going to look at each time he says that and consider the context and who the words are directed to. But there's another verse of Scripture that really helps me come to that conclusion, and it's found in the Gospel of John chapter 6 and verse 44. If you'd like to turn there with me. The Gospel of John, chapter 6, and verse 44. To set the context for this, I want to back up several verses. For Jesus tells them that he is the true bread that came down from heaven. Jesus, while preaching here in John, chapter 6, reminds them of the bread that God sent from heaven to the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness. Of course, that was in the days of Moses. 
But it was God the Father that gave that manna that came down from heaven. The Bible says that men did eat angels' food. If you can just imagine with me in the days of Exodus chapter 16 when the children of Israel would get up in the morning and there would be a dew on the ground and manna upon that dew and even dew on top of that manna. And they would get up and, and gather that that they needed for the day. And they could not gather more than they needed for that day. Otherwise, it would stink and breed worms. But when the Sabbath, the day that they should rest, drew near, they could gather enough to last them until the time after the Sabbath. Jesus said, you know, they ate of that bread and they died. There was a purpose for that bread and it was to sustain their temporal lives. And then Jesus said, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. And they that would eat of this bread shall never die. What does he say? He said those individuals that were partakers of that bread, they ate of that bread, and it was a blessing for them in this temporal world. When they were partakers of that bread, it sustained their temporal lives. It gave them strength in this temporal world. Jesus said, I am the true bread that came down from heaven, and he that's a partaker of me shall never die. Notice with me in verse 53 of John chapter 6. Jesus said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Verse 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What is Jesus saying here? Is Jesus inviting us to come and bite on his, his body? No, that's not what he's saying. Is Jesus teaching communion? No, that's not, that's not the context. The context is us being a partaker of the Lord. Just as they were a partaker of that bread in the Old Testament and it sustained their temporal lives, if we are a partaker of the life of Jesus Christ, we will have eternal life forever. But how are we a partaker of Him? Verse 44, Jesus said, No man can. Come unto me, except the Father which has sent me, draw him. How am I a partaker of this life to have eternal life? Well, Brother Ronnie, you need to get up and go to Jesus and be a partaker of him. How can I? How can I, Jesus said. It's beyond my ability to come to him and be a partaker of his life that I may have eternal life. Why would you say that? Because I am dead in sins without him. And without him, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. If an individual calls on another to do something good, the only way that good could be done is if God was already in him. How am I a partaker of him, the true bread that came down from heaven, of my own will and choice? It cannot happen. It cannot happen. But Jesus said, except I am a partaker of him, I don't have eternal life. How am I a partaker of him? How do I have eternal life in me? Jesus said, no man can. It's beyond his ability. No man can come to me. Is, what is Jesus talking about here? Us physically coming to the Lord? We know that's not true. Because I found in Mark chapter 2, the Pharisees come to the Lord and, and question about his disciples not fasting and him eating with the publicans and sinners. They physically came to him and asked him that question. I find in Matthew chapter 22, it was the Sadducees that came to him 
Questioning him about the resurrection. You know, Moses said if there was a man that had a wife and he died, his brother should take his wife and raise up seed to his name. They came to him physically and asked him that. I remember in John chapter 18, they came to the Lord to arrest him physically. They came there with sticks and staves and fire to arrest him. They came, but Jesus said in this context, no man can. What is he talking about? Coming to him and being a partaker of his life. We cannot. Except we're a partaker of his life, we have no eternal life in us. How are we a partaker? No man can of his own will. Except the Father which has sent me draw him. This word draw is not in a context of of wooing or enticing. It literally means to drag. What Jesus is saying is you do not have eternal life in you unless you are a partaker of me and you cannot be a partaker of me unless my Father comes to you and spiritually drags you unto me and makes you a partaker of me. What happens in the new birth is God comes to us who are dead in sins, who cannot do good, and picks us up and brings us unto himself, and that's the way we are partaker of his life, passively by his active power doing the work. No man can except the Father which has sent me draw him. This word draw is uh, the Greek helkuo. It's also used when they come to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ, remember it was Peter that drew his sword from his sheath. That's the word helkuo. He drew his sword from his sheath. Now I want to ask you, did Peter look down at the sword and say, Okay, you pretty little sword, you just shined up and look good. Will you just pop up here and stand up in my hand? No, it was Peter by his power of his arm that reached down and pulled that sword out. And the sword was passive in the entire action. It was Peter's strength that did the work. I remember there in John chapter 21 when the Jesus came to the disciples in the morning after they'd fished all the night, asked them if they had any meat, and the Bible said they drew their nets to land. That's the word helkuo. They drew the nets to land. Now was it the nets that Peter and James and John said, you just come on, you pretty little nets, you come right over here to shore and, and we'll wash you up and get all the fish out of you? No, the fishermen by their power reached and pulled those nets unto themselves. The word is also found... In Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas were drew there from the marketplaces for them to be beaten for preaching the gospel and casting that evil spirit out of the woman that was a soothsayer. Now, I want to tell you, they did not entice Paul and Silas just to come over there and get that whooping. No, they did not. They were pulled against their will by the power of those that drew them. And Jesus said, there's no way, no way a man is going to be a partaker of me of his own will and choice. It's God's power that comes to us and we're passive and drawn to him. And because of that power, we are a partaker of God. We have been a partaker of his life and have life in us by his power, not by ours. And I know when you read these verses, you think, well, I wonder if that happened to me. Have I been drawn to God in that spiritual sense? The Bible calls on us to examine ourselves. To take the truth of Scripture and examine ourselves. To come to a conclusion. Has that happened to me? Let me ask you, dear child of God. Do you feel the guilt of sin? Do you see yourself as a sinner in the sight of God? Do you want to be better as a person in this world? I'm talking about a better child of God. Living in obedience to God. Do you love God's church? Do you love God's word? Do you feel bad when you do wrong? 
All these are evidences that God has come to you and drawn you unto himself because you would not feel that way unless the light of life was already in you. What I'm saying is you would not feel that way unless you were a born-again child of God that God by his power has drawn you to him and you have been made passively on your part a partaker of his life. That's good news for a poor sinner, don't you agree? But that phrase, no man can, helps me to understand each time Jesus says, come unto me, he's got to be talking to his children. If Jesus, if, if I spoke those words, come unto God, unless someone has life, they can come to the Lord and, and enjoy the benefits of his blessings in those come unto me statements in the Bible. The person must be already born again, must be a partaker of his life, and then those statements come unto me, they're applicable unto them. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Are those words to a live child of God or someone dead in sins? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Let's make a comparison. Let's talk about physical death. And the Bible uses physical death to teach lessons of spiritual life. People in the cemetery, their bodies here in the cemetery. Their souls and spirits have gone home to be with the Lord, but their bodies here in the cemetery. Have you ever come out to the cemetery and saw all these people in the cemetery doing some laboring? Some working? What about that funeral service that happened when their body went in the ground? Do you remember them laboring to dig their grave at that time after they died to lower their own body into the grave. Now, you don't see labor with dead people. Labor is something done by people that are alive. And so it is in a spiritual context. Labor, spiritual labor, is not done by people dead in sins. You know, Esau never done one spiritual labor. That king of Babylon in Isaiah 14 that lifted up his eyes in hell, he never done any spiritual labor. Those dead in sins don't do spiritual labor. The only ones that are laboring in a spiritual sense are those that have been made alive by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that have been drawn to Him and been made a partaker of His eternal life by His power. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you eternal life. Is that the way that verse reads in your Bible? It doesn't read that way in my Bible. It says, Come unto me, all ye that... Labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest. Did you notice two types of rest in that, those two verses? You've got a given rest, and you have a found rest. You know, the only person that's laboring and heavy laden is that born-again child of God. I mean, they're laboring in their mind and their life and their works, to try to be right with God? You know, Job said, I know it's so of a truth, but how shall man be just with God? How's a man going to be right with God? I remember a time in my life I was laboring to be right with God. I wanted to feel to be right with God. The person that's laboring in his life to be right with God, he's already right with God in heaven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's laboring to be right with God in his conscience, in his conscience. The Bible teaches us that that broken spirit and that broken heart Man, those are things that please God. Have you ever noticed over in Psalms chapter 
51 and verse 7, David said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Psalms chapter 34 and verse 18, God is not the of a broken heart. And if we have a broken heart because we feel that we failed God over and over in my life, which I said, my life is me, it's my experience, I felt that. We're laboring to be right with God. We're heavy laden. Heavy laden because of our own sin. Heavy laden because of our own shortcomings. We can come to the Lord and find rest and peace. You know, rest and peace for the child of God, the born again child of God is found being close to the Lord and putting our trust in Him and what He did. Do you know how many children of God actually trust in the Lord? Few. Many trust in their own works. Many trust in something they've done. Many trust in men in this world, but the Bible calls on us to come to the Lord and trust and confess Him. Confess Him. Confess Him and Him. He is the one that has done it. I love what Brother Kerry preached for us last Friday evening. And by Himself we come and trust in the Lord Himself. And when we trust in the Lord Himself, that's not when we become born again children of God, but that's when we have peace in our lives. And this understanding is just Him. He did it. He did it. And if he didn't do it for me, I don't have it and I can never get it myself. You know, when I lay down to sleep at night, I'm not, I'm not worried about hell anymore. I believe Jesus saved me from hell. And my trust is in him. You know, I remember when I was a kid, those hellfire and brimstone sermons used to scare me to death. They don't scare me anymore. Mm-mm, my trust is, is in the Lord. I remember Brother Leonard Mooney, who was the song leader at Faith Primitive Baptist Church when I joined the church. He told me, he said, you know, I had a dream one night, Brother Ronnie, and that dream, he said, I know it was of the devil, and he was just poking me and prodding me and telling me that I've been deceived all my life. And not only that, I deceived the entire church. I was deceived all my life. I'm not a child of God. The Lord had never done a work in my heart. I deceived the church. I joined the church. It was baptized. And he said, here I've been in the church trying to lead singing and be a church member and deacon all these years. I deceived myself. You know, he said, but I just woke up. And he said, I thought, where have you put your trust? He said, have you put your trust in something you've done or did you put your trust in the Lord? He said, my trust is in the Lord. And I knew, listen, God, <laughs> if I'm saved, it's by your grace. And if I'm not saved by your grace, I can't get it myself. And he said, I just went right back to sleep trusting in the Lord. And he said, now rest in him. Praise God. That's good, isn't it? Resting in the Lord. And dear child of God, if you're laboring and are heavy laden because of your sins and shortcomings, there's rest found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come unto me, he said, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's a given rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest. There's a found rest. There's a given rest. And then there's a found rest. But to have a found rest, you've got to be seeking for something. For someone to seek for something, they've got to be a born-again child of God. And for that, someone to seek for it, they've got to be diligent to seek it and find it. You know, in seeking for truth in God's Word, in seeking for truth in God's church, in seeking for truth in meditation and prayer, I have found a lot of rest in my life. You know, I've found a lot of rest concerning all the troubles of this world. You know, troubles of this world, they don't trouble me like they used to. Well, because I know it's all going to turn out all right. You know, death. You know, as you get older, you begin to think about it more and more, right? I'm going to be honest with you. When I was in my 20s, I really didn't think about it much. 
<laughs> I will be honest with you, when I was in my 20s and I used to go fishing a lot, I'd go to the boat ramp to put my boat in. I didn't really think about it much. I just put it in the water and went on. Now I've saw enough videos of all the accidents that happened at the boat ramp. I'm a lot more cautious putting my boat in than I used to be. <laughs> As you get older, you kind of, you know, learn there's a lot of things could happen. But I'm not troubled as much because I, you know, it's going to be all right. God's grace is greater than the troubles of this world. And as far as death is concerned, if I die, if I die, all it's going to do is just set me free to heaven. God's got something better for me than this life. I believe we have something better for us. You know, my mom was with me for several weeks, and my mom, she's tired. She's worn. And my mama, she's ready. She's ready when the Lord would call her. She's ready. She's ready because she, she believes there's something better in this life. She has rest concerning death. You know, many preachers have called that dying grace. Dying grace is according to knowledge and information. When you have that knowledge and information of glory above, you have rest even in death. And you can go to a funeral service and even be happy at a funeral service and, and have a big smile believing that person has been set free from the troubles of this world and they're home in glory now, resting with the Lord. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13 says, Blessed are, are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. You know, our brothers and sisters in Christ have gone home to be with glory. They're not working here in this world anymore. They're resting in the Lord. Praise God. And we can dig and find that rest. But Jesus said, come to me, come to me. Where's that rest found? There's a given rest from our labor and heavy laden and sin and coming to the Lord. There's a found rest in coming to him when we need help in this life. Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 7. The Gospel of John chapter 7, we're at the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 37, it was... It was the last day of that feast, the great day. We're in September, October here in John chapter 7. The Feast of Tabernacles was there in the month of Tishrei. It would start on the 15th day. They'd have seven days and they'd have an eighth day, which is a great and glorious day. It's a day no servile work can be done therein. And it was on that day that the Lord Jesus Christ was there. He said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus said here, come unto me and drink. You ever saw a dead man thirsty? I never saw a dead man thirsty. Someone's thirsty, they're alive. I've never went to a funeral and the person in the casket offered them water. Have you? No. Same sense. No one's going to be thirsty for the things of God unless they're born again. Remember the text over Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17? The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. And that's to the born-again children of God. Revelation chapter 22 is really directed toward us, the church, and what we should be in his service. I mean, we should be obedient to his commandments. We should be living a life of earnest expectation of his coming at any time, and we should be evangelically zealous of his truth. Tell the world, but it's the Spirit that's with us. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And him that heareth, it's live children of God that are able to hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And him that's a thirst, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Jesus here at this day, this last day of this feast. He said, Any man that's a thirst, let him come to me and drink. And this he spake of the Holy Spirit, 
Notice verse 39, he said, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Is that talking about getting the Spirit to be born again? No, they're already thirsting. They're already born again. It's making reference to the Holy Comforter and what the Holy Spirit's presence can do in your life. Have you ever thought much about this, this Feast of Tabernacles and all that they did this week? You can find some information about it in Leviticus 23, some in Deuteronomy 16. You also find a lot of information about it over in Numbers chapter 29. I mean, they had seven days of offerings. You know, the first day, I think it was 13 bullocks, 14 lambs, and a goat they would offer and drink offerings. The next day, it would be 12 bullocks, 14 lambs, and a goat that they would offer. And each day, the number would come down, and finally on that eighth day, it would be one bullock, seven lambs, and a goat that they would offer. I mean, there was a lot of offerings made this week with drink offerings. There was a lot of animals killed this week. During this service, during this Feast of Tabernacles. But you know, not one of those offerings, all that blood that was shed, made the comers thereunto feel good in their heart. It didn't satisfy them. They could offer the 13 bullets the one day, the 12 bullets the next day, the 11, the 10, the 9, come all the way down to the last day and offer the blood. It still didn't make them feel good. And Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 9 says those offerings and gifts could not make those in that service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. It did not make their heart feel good to think we've done enough. You know why? It was not enough. It was not enough. <laughs> so these people here that have been witnessing all this this week at this Feast of Tabernacles, they saw all these drink offerings, they saw all this bloodshed, not one of them involved felt good in their heart to think it's enough. And Jesus said, look, you come to me. And I'll give you something all these offerings can't do. And that's the sense of happiness and joy, believing that Jesus done enough. The presence of the Holy Spirit in us looking to the Lord for joy and happiness will give unto you something that all the work that this world calls on you to do cannot do. Do you know on the day that Solomon dedicated the temple. Have you ever thought about all the offerings that was made? I think it was 22,000 oxen, 120,000 lambs. All that blood that was shed never made them feel good in their conscience. Why? Because they could offer until there's no more to offer. And it would never be enough to satisfy God. And I don't care what the world calls you and you to do. I'm like Elder David Guthrie. I remember a time in my life that they'd have told me to roll a peanut from the back of the church to the front. That would make me feel better in the sight of God. I would have done it. All of it will not make you feel good in your conscience. But Jesus said, you come to me. You are thirst. And he would give us that water, that peace that will quench our thirst and make us happy beyond what the world can afford. Come unto me and drink. And here in the New Testament church in Revelation chapter 22, we should be saying to the children of God in the world that are in labor and heavy laden, seeking, seeking for a way to feel good in the sight of God. Just come to the truth. Believe the truth. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And someone would say, oh, Brother Ronnie, I tell you what, I just don't know enough. I tell you, you'll never know enough. <laughs> you'll never know it all. We always have something to learn. And the more we learn, the better we feel in our heart. But just coming to the Lord and being close to Him, He's able to do something for you in your heart and in your conscience that the world cannot do. 
go a little further in this, in this subject, coming unto the Lord. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, we find a time in, in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that the service was the service was daylight to dark. And I will tell you, the disciples that were with the Lord, they, they were weary and they were tired. There were times that they had to take the Lord as He was. I mean, the Lord, as the Son of Mary, went from daylight to dark in, those, in that service, and He was tired. Now, as the eternal Son of God, He never got tired. But as the Son of Mary, He had times He got tired. We find times when He was asleep in a ship because He was tired. Jesus tells the disciples in verse 31 of Mark chapter 6, He said, Come ye yourselves apart in a, into a desert place and rest a while. Come unto me. Come ye yourselves into a desert place. What is He saying? You need to spend time just with me for a little while. What is this? Is this to the person dead in sins? No, this was to His disciples, the apostles. Come to me into a desert. Separate yourself just for a little while. It was important that they in that service spend time with the Lord individually. That they would be energized in their service. I want to tell you, as a pastor of the church, I love being at church on Sunday morning. I love trying to preach. I love God's Word. I love spending time with God's people. But it's important for me to have some time just me and the Lord. That I myself could be energized. And it's important for you to have time, just you and the Lord. It's important for you to have a place where just you and the Lord, it, it could be just in a room at your house, where your spouse in the other room, where you can just you can just pray and spend time with God. Look into His Word. But it's important for a child of God to come to a desert place. And my, my desert place may not be the same as your desert place. I'm going to tell you where my desert place is right now. It's on my bicycle. That's my desert place. So I just get off there by myself. I just spend time meditation in God's Word. It's me and the Lord. We can just talk. It's important to have that time. You know, I remember growing up as a boy there in Georgia. My daddy, he had three boys. Bobby, David, and me. Had one girl. You know, daddy always would make time just, just for me sometimes. It may just be just for a little while. It may just be a little task we was going to do. But... It's me and him because he knew it was important to spend some time just with his boy. Your brother John and Sister Janice, they got a boy and a girl, but I'm sure there's been times you just, just took time for Brian or you just took time for Sister Tammy. Those times are important. I'm not saying you should do it all the time and show favor over one or the other child, but you just need time apart. We need time apart. You remember when Elijah... He thought he was ready to go stand up to all the Israelites. No, God said, no, you come over here by the brook Kirith. And God took him there by the brook Kirith by himself. And it was there he learned to depend on God as the ravens would bring him bread and flesh. And he drank from the brook. He learned to depend on God right there. You know, we all need some time at brook Kirith to learn to depend on God. And we learn a lot of that just by spending time with God alone. Just me and him. Just me and him. Jesus says, come in yourselves apart into a desert place. Come and rest and just spend some time with me. Have you had times in your life you felt like the Lord's just calling on you? Just, just come apart for a little while. 
Maybe you just pick up your Bible, just you and him. And him be there with you, and you read your Bible, and then God give you something in his word you never saw before. No preacher ever gave it to you. And you'd see something, I never noticed that before. That's the time you got to spend with God. Dear children of God, we all need that time with the Lord. Come yourselves apart into a desert place. You know, we look there in Matthew chapter 11 about coming to the Lord for rest and learning of Him and finding rest. We looked at there when He says, Come to me and drink. Let's go to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Jesus says something to the apostles there who are on the sea in verse 12. He tells them to come and dine. Come to me and dine. If you look at the beginning of this chapter, it was the disciples said, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> I used to joke with someone, if I'm not going to church, the best thing I can do is go fishing. <laughs> That's what they did. <laughs> I said that jokingly. <clears throat> they went fishing, and I mean, these are professional fishermen. They knew how to fish. They had caught nothing. Notice in verse 4, it was morning. Morning was now come. And Jesus, he appears there to them and says, Children, have you any meat? And it was John. You remember over in Matthew chapter 14 when Jesus appeared? They all said, He's the Spirit. They didn't know it was Him. Now John, see, they spent time with the Lord. They were able to recognize His presence better. If you want to be able to recognize the presence of God better, spend more time with the Lord. And Jesus said in verse 6, Casting the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They hadn't caught nothing all the night. Jesus said, Cast your net on the right side. I got a question. What right side was it? If the Lord's looking at the ship, was it his right side or was it their right side? Which right side was it? Were they facing the, the bow or the stern or the transom? What side were they facing? The right side of the ship. Which one? I don't know. I just know the right side is the one the Lord told him to cast it on. <laughs> when Jesus pointed and said, cast on the right side, wherever Jesus said do it, that's the right side. And whatever Jesus tells you to do, it's just the right thing to do. Casting it on the right side. So they did. And these professional fishermen that hadn't caught nothing all the night, which teaches me without the presence and help of God, all my work will be for naught. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, I can stand before you and try to preach the gospel. I can study all week, memorize scripture, but unless I have God's help on Sunday morning, the presence of the Spirit is not going to accomplish it. I need God's help in my life. I need His presence. The Bible teaches us in verse 11 that when they drew the net, when they did what Jesus said, it was full of great fishes, and it was a hundred 153. 153 great fish. Have you ever went fishing and caught fish and didn't catch some calls? That's what we call them in Georgia, calls. What a call is is one you know, it's too small to keep. I remember I used to fish with a guy sometimes. He'd keep everything he caught. I mean, sometimes you'd catch a crappy. I mean, you could hold it up and you could read the newspaper through it. It's so skinny. <laughs> I'd say, is that big enough to eat? He said he was eating when I caught him. <laughs> Every time I go, if I catch fish, I'm going to catch some calls. I just catch some throw back, which I've got now where I throw most fish back anyway. <clears throat> they didn't catch no calls here. Every one of them was, was a great fish. Can I say every one of them was keepers? Every one of them was keepers. 
You know what happened? They just did it the way the Lord told them to do it. They cast the net where the Lord told them to cast it. They had the presence of God with them. You know, here in the New Testament church, there's a lesson here for us. You know, we're supposed to be in the business of fishing. Not fishing for catfish and brim and crappy. But fishing for children of God. That they would enjoy the truth and the blessings of God's church. If you want to catch keepers, let's do it when, where, and how the Lord told us to do it. We follow the Lord's commands. We catch all keepers. We need the presence of God. But still, after they caught these 153, they looked, and Jesus was already up there with the coals and fish. He didn't even need them. <laughs> he said, come and dine, come and eat. You know what this was? This was breakfast. They eat fish for breakfast. Can you imagine that? Eating fish for breakfast. Someone says, well, I just can't eat fish for breakfast. Well, you're not hungry enough. If we get hungry enough, we can eat fish for breakfast. If you ever come to the house of God and you just couldn't get anything out of it, somebody else is getting a lot out of it, Problem may be you're not hungry enough. You know what I've learned in my life, what makes me hungry? Activity. You stay busy, you stay active, I mean, you hungry. I'll tell you, you go back when I was a boy, raised up there on a Loudermilk farm, and I'd work all day long. I tell you what, my mama could put shoe leather on the table, I'd eat it. I was hungry. You know why? My papa and my daddy worked me to death. I mean, you'd eat dust all day long, covered up in mud all day long, and all of a sudden, man, you got. At the table, I mean, I tell you what, my mama could cook, but anything looked good to me. I didn't care if it's greasy biscuits and green beans, whatever. I was hungry. Activity will make you hungry, want to eat. Same way with exercise. The more you exercise, the more you want to eat. That's why there's always a huge conflict about exercise and trying to lose weight. Exercise will make you want to eat. <laughs> I mean, you get me when I'm riding a bicycle several years ago and I was riding a lot of miles. I mean, man, I could go through a pizza and hot wings in a hurry. I mean, I wanted to eat. Same way in the house of God. You want to be more hungry for the things of God? How about getting active in the service of God? You get more active in the service of God, it'll make you more hungry for the things of God. You'll want Him more. I mean, I have been to meetings where I would preach meetings. I could not preach people off the pews. I've been there. And I have been in some places about 10 minutes before them there's already leave. What's the difference? People are active in the service of God. You want to be more hungry for the things of God how about getting involved in the service of God? That'll make you more hungry for the things of God. And Jesus said here, come and dine. When we're hungry for those things of God, Jesus has already got it ready for us. It's already cooked. He knows exactly what we need, and he's able to nourish us, and he will feed us with knowledge and understanding that will strengthen us for the trials and tribulations of this world. <clears throat> Mark chapter 10, we find another come unto me. It was a man that had much that came to the Lord and he conversed with the Lord and the Lord told him, you go sell all you have and you take up your cross and follow me. Do you remember that in Mark chapter 10 when the rich young ruler came to the Lord? He was already a born again child of God. The Bible said Jesus beheld him and loved him. Jesus told him this one thing that you lack when he thought he had everything in order. He was full of covetousness and he told him, he said, you go sell all you have and take up your cross and follow me. That's verse 21. That was to a born-again child of God. And I want to tell you, that's to us. We don't take up his cross. He bore his cross. Jesus bore the cross. He bore our sins and satisfied the Father for our sins. But there is a cross for us to bear as his child. Now, you think about what Jesus bore. Jesus bore all of that that was contrary to the Father in our room instead. Brothers and sisters, in our service to God, there's things about us 
the world we live in, the things our carnal nature loves that's contrary to God, we have to take up that cross and follow Him. And everybody's cross is different. Sometimes our cross is an aspiration of life that will hinder us from being the servant of God we can be. I've met people who had an aspiration, a goal in life that was always going to conflict with them being a better servant of God. And they had to take up that cross and carry it and bear that, that burden their entire life if they were going to be a servant that pleased God. Now them carrying it or not carrying it was not going to change their eternal life. I've met people who had aspirations and zeal concerning the things of this world and the riches of this world, and they had to take up that cross and carry it if they were to be a better servant of God. I've met people, their cross was their own family. The opposition of family and people trying to hinder them from being the best servant of God they can be, and they had to pick up that cross and follow the Lord. Wow, they got to put the Lord first, put the Lord first. And I want to tell you, that is a big cross sometimes for people to bear. And the reason a lot of people miss out on the temporal blessings of God is they're not willing to pick up that cross and carry it to be close to God. Whatever that cross is for you, God calls on us to pick it up and carry it and bear the burden and draw near to Him and close to Him. Always remembering that His blessings will by far outweigh all the trouble and opposition you'll face in this world. Last one. We're just going to read it, and we're going to close. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, Jesus tells us about his final coming when he comes back to take us home. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all his holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. That's verse 31 of Matthew 25. Verse 32, And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king, the sitting on his throne, say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. Prepare for you from the foundation of the world. That's the last time that Jesus say, Come unto me, because when he says that, we'll be with him forever. May God richly bless us our prayer. Is anyone here this morning?